Well, it was a hot summer's day last July. It was late July, and my family and I, we were preparing to go on vacation, so it was packing day. And I don't know about you, I, I feel like we might have some similarities here, but on days such as packing day or laundry day, there's a certain dress code that's entailed uh, because um, we call them house clothes because they're like the clothes that are just a little too comfortable to be wearing out in public to present yourself to the world. Um, it's basically clothes that you just kind of put on to cover yourself so you can just get the, whatever it needs to be done in your house that you would just not be caught dead in public being seen. That was this day. Let me tell you what my house clothes consisted of this day. I was wearing a pair of sweatpants that I wore during my last round of, um, of pregnancy. So they were like two sizes too big. I had a Baby Yoda shirt on that my parents brought back from one of their Disney trips. Um, I had mismatched socks because who cares? Um, I'm in my house. I'm around my kids, whatever. And I just had no plans to leave the house that day or to interact with the public. And then somebody knocked on my door. And I will be honest to tell you, I considered in that moment not to answer it um, um, because, honestly, we live on a pretty public road. So if I'm not expecting anybody, I tend not to answer the door. But something inside of me prompted me to answer it. So I open up my door, and there before me is this young gentleman who is wearing a three-piece suit, dressed to the nines. And he introduces himself as, hello, I am a reporter from Fox 19. And I said, okay. And he goes, like, I am going house to house down your street to report on a story that happened between an altercation between two neighbors um, that happened two doors down from you, and I'm collecting stories and people's reactions to the response. And I looked at him, and I said, I'm sorry, what, what altercation? And apparently he goes on to explain these two neighbors were having a conflict to where it escalated to the point where one neighbor went into his house, came back out with a machete, and started stabbing the neighbor. I shut the door behind me, and I said, you need to tell me what's going on in my neighborhood. Because the night before, we had noticed some police activity down the street, but my husband and I, from our perspective, it didn't look too serious. Um, you know, we thought, well, maybe someone had like a heart attack or, you know, it just didn't like click in our mind that something was, was going on. And so um, he goes on to like, you know, explain the story and he's like, how does that make you feel? And I'm like, well, kind of makes you feel like you don't think this can happen in your neighborhood until it does. And I, I feel like a little uneasy and stuff. And he goes, great. Could you share your story and reaction with me? <laughs> and I was like, what story do I have to share? I just learned about this, okay? <laughs> and, and I started making excuse after excuse, uh, disqualifying my story, disqualifying my, my reaction because I was still processing this. And he said, please, I have been going up and down your street, knocking door to door, looking for a story to, add, to supplement this story and to get reactions, and nobody but you answered your door. <laughs> and my friends, that is the story of how I ended up on Fox 19's nightly news in my house clothes for all of Cincinnati, Ohio to see. <laughs> Luckily, they misspelled my name, so there was God's mercy in that. So, but if we have not met before, my name is Jane Dorman. I serve here at White Oak on our teaching team, and it is just such a pleasure 
to be with you this morning. And today we are wrapping up our storyteller series where we've been reading and we've been reflecting on these stories Jesus told to reveal truths of his kingdom. Jesus' story, no doubt, made and still makes significant impact today. But the stories he told, as we read throughout the Gospels, captured the attention of audiences. And what I love so much about Jesus and his storytelling is he was not confined in a storytelling in the walls of a synagogue, which was a place of worship back then. He shared them with everyday people amid everyday life. Jesus, our great storyteller, made significant impact. But I often wonder, though, if a lot of us carry this question that I asked the news reporter, is, well, what, what story do I have to share? I absolutely wrestle with this question. It is so easy, especially in this day and age, to compare our stories that we are living day to day to the stories and impact that we hear about, whether it's a carefully crafted TED Talk or an inspirational TikTok or an empowering podcast episode. We, we end up uh, comparing our stories, and today I just want to ask you, do you believe your story can impact the world around you? Because what if I told you that your story has the potential to make significant kingdom impact in the world that surrounds you every single day? The world loves to celebrate stories, and honestly, I think there are seeds of doubt that have been planted within us that a story is only good if it's made into a movie or written about in a book or a documentary. And those stories are good. Don't get me wrong. Those stories need to be told. But today I want you to hear me when I tell you this truth that your story matters. Your story matters. It has the power to create change and to inspire people who surround you in your everyday life, whether you realize it or not. That's why it is so important that we understand the story that God is writing with our lives when we experience the goodness of God and we receive his goodness into our heart, we are able to share that goodness with others. I mean, 2023, it's the year of one anothering for White Oak. We, we kicked off this new year with the, the one another series, and I just cannot think of a better way to one another the world around us than by sharing what God has done in our lives. Our lived experience needs to be shared because your story could be the only authentic experience someone has with the truth, beauty, and goodness of God. So today, our big idea, the lens I want us to have through this, this teaching is sharing our story reveals the gospel. Now, American screenwriter and author John Truby says in his book, The Anatomy of Story, that a story can be simply defined as this. A speaker tells a listener what someone did to get what they wanted and why. Simple definition. So today we're going to be taking a look at the parable of the sower. We just heard about it prior to, but we're going to dive into Matthew chapter 13 if you want to follow along. Um, in your Bible, but there are three questions I want us to consider today. We're going to be asking these three questions a lot, okay? And that is, what do you want, why do you want it, and how do you get it? 
Let's read Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 3. Well, he told many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his fields, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. And still other seeds fell on fertile soil. And they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now our protagonist is a farmer. Some translations, like this one, says, or like the story is a sower. Jesus is talking in terms of the agricultural customs of that day, where a sower would cast out seed upon the ground, and then it would be plowed into the earth in order for the seed to take root, grow, and produce good fruit. Jesus is the sower in this story. What does the sower want? He wants to plant seeds. Well, why, why does the sower want to plant seeds? Because he wants to produce good fruit. How does the sower get it? By extravagantly scattering seeds across his field, presenting opportunities for good fruit to grow in his field. Okay, so if Jesus is the sower in this story, then who are we? These are the questions we need to be asking when we approach these parables. Who are we? Because you see, in order for seed to grow and to produce good fruit, it needs to take root in soil. Guess who the soil is in this story? We all are. We are all soil. Now, I did a, a little digging, if you see what I did there. Now, I'm my father's daughter, okay? <laughs> but in preparation for today's sermon, I did a little digging, and did you know that healthy soil is considered to be a living system? Not only that, that soil is, is the cornerstone of life. It is responsible for providing plants with everything they need to grow, food, air, water, and a home for their roots. Soil, when it's properly cared for, has the potential to bear good fruit with nutrients to nurture the flourishing life. So what does soil want? Soil wants the opportunity to bear fruit. Well, why does soil want that? To fulfill its purpose, for, to do what it was created to do. And how does soil fulfill its purpose? Through the diligence of proper care, because there's, there's a sobering fact about soil that it, if it is not properly cared for, it dies. It hardens, it grows stagnant. It is unable to receive. Now, in today's parable, Jesus describes four different conditions of soil, and each condition affects how the how they receive the seeds scattered by the sower. 
Jesus used parables to teach hidden truths about God's kingdom, and many listeners would get frustrated, as I'm sure many of us can get frustrated when we encounter the Bible, <laughs> um, wondering why Jesus would choose to be vague in conveying these kingdom truths. Jesus is trying to make a connection here that our level of understanding these kingdom tr truths or kingdom seeds, if you will, could only be revealed based on the readiness of our hearts to receive it. Let's read Jesus' explanation to his disciples. That's one of the reasons why I love this story. He gives us some cliff notes <laughs> to dive in. In Matthew 13, starting in verse 18, Jesus tells his disciples, Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Four soils, four hearts in different stages of reception. We have the footpath soil. This soil, it is so hard, it's dead. It would be impossible for any seed to take root. Similarly, a hardened heart is apathetic. It looks like someone who, they might read the Bible, they might crack it open, but they don't engage it, they don't apply it, they don't, they don't just sit with the text, they don't just seek God. They're hardened, they, they just don't receive it. I mean, this could also look like someone who may be building up walls of what they think are protection to hide their vulnerability. They want to isolate from the world. They want to be consumed with their own narrative and their own unshared beliefs because they don't want to be challenged or, God forbid, be called to surrender to a different path that might cost them something to change. Ultimately, it's unreceptive to any trace of kingdom truth. Then you have the rocky soil. This is the soil where the seed springs up quickly because of the warmth of the soil. But the seed is unable to take root because underneath is this shallow dirt that meets a rocky shelf. This is the heart that chases that spiritual high of truth. Man, you have an encounter with God. It feels so good. You go on a conference. You come, <laughs> you come Sunday mornings, you engage, you, you encounter God, we hear a message, and then we leave the doors of this building and complacency sets in. That high that we're chasing, the, the high won't sustain us. But the effort of diligent spiritual practice will. Because without, without it, the roots that we sprout will be shallow 
and will wither, will wither away and are lost. And then you have the thorny soil. This soil represents people who receive the message, but they're distracted and choked by the cares of this world. This could look like wealth. This could look like pleasure. This could look like anxiety. Instead of looking vertically for our security, we start looking horizontally around at the war, the war, the news, the war in Ukraine. I mean, anything that, that seems to be happening around us, the chaos and then we start to be misguided by our culture that encourages us to take a look around and to do more and to be more and to get more and to see more. And then we are confronted. We start putting all our effort into what is going on around us. And we start pursuing culture's values instead of kingdom values. And our roots stay stagnant, producing no fruit. And then you have the good soil. This soil represents people who receive the message. They understand it, and they allow it to take root in the soil of their hearts. They produce a bountiful crop of spiritual fruit, such as the ones that we read about in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. This looks like someone who is actively seeking first the kingdom of God. Someone who resists the temptation of spiritual apathy through the diligent pursuit of spiritual growth through consistent daily practice that cultivates a healthy foundation for fruit to flourish. The roots of this heart grow deep. And you see, we can analyze all these soils all we want and the point of the story, though, is not to obsess over the question, well, what kind of soil am I? Rather, it's an invitation to consider why Jesus pursues us by throwing himself into our stories. Sharing our story reveals the gospel. The truth is, while there are four soils or hearts represented here, all of our hearts are on a quest for something. It's a common quest. We all share it. The pursuits may look different, but at the core, we are all looking for the answer to those three questions we asked earlier. What do you want? We want to be made whole. Why do you want it? Because we have an insatiable hunger that desires to be fulfilled. Well, how do you get it? Responding to Jesus when our story encounters his story. Now, culture is going to tell us that wholeness comes from, from achievement, achievements that we, we encounter in each stage of our life. I, I, think, I think of like work hard in school, get good grades, apply to college, go to college so you can be ready for that fulfillment of knowledge. And then we, we move to get the right internship, make the right connections, get the right job so you can set your career life up to be fulfilled. And then we move to the relationships, make the right friends, meet the right guy or girl, get married so you can be fulfilled in your relationships, research the housing market, buy a house, start a family. You can set your family up for fulfillment. 
Our culture just wants us to do, 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 and all these elements add to our story. But they were never meant to make you whole. Only Jesus can do that. You know, if we aren't careful, these good pursuits, and I'm not saying we shouldn't pursue them, these are good pursuits, but they can become a distraction if we're not careful. In fact, if we spend our stories solely focused on achieving these various level-ups of the world to find our fulfillment, we will miss the opportunities to see and hear and respond when Holy Spirit prompts us to do so. In order to be made whole, we need to get our hearts to a place that is ready to receive the truth of Jesus so that the stories we live will produce good fruit for the world around us to see. The more we allow Jesus to sow in the soil of our hearts, the deeper understanding we have of his faithfulness, his goodness, and his steadfast love. Now, I can't help but circle back to this question that even his disciples ask in this this passage of Scripture. Jesus, why do you choose to use parables when you talk to people? Jesus' response, I believe, is our call to action today. Let's read it together in Matthew 13, starting in verse 12. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That's why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear and they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. Mm. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Jesus wants to heal your story. Because every story needs to be healed. No one, nobody goes through this life unscathed. And this is the beauty of the Father's love. Because he knows you. He knows your story. And he knows the condition of your heart. He's calling you deeper through sowing the story of salvation into your life. And what's even more profound is once we receive the salvation into our hearts, we're called to be sowers of the gospel as well in order to produce a harvest through the stories that we live. So I want to ask you this morning to reflect, what is the fruit of your life? You see, Jesus is on a quest too. He's ready to harvest. In Matthew 9, Jesus shares with his disciples that God has a harvest field, and he's calling his disciples to work in it. What does Jesus want? He wants the gospel to be shared through our words and our actions. He wants it to be shared through our stories. 
Why does Jesus want this? Because the way we live will show people how much we know or don't know about Jesus. Not only that, but we might be the only opportunity some people get to see or hear about our king. And how does Jesus cultivate his co-laborers? It starts with forgiveness. You know, a lot of us, when we encounter Jesus and we experience his forgiveness and we receive salvation, we think, oh, I did it. That's it. Forgiveness is just the beginning. When our story encounters Jesus, we have a choice to make to receive his forgiveness and repent from that which severs our relationship with Christ, or we can reject his forgiveness and just move forward as per usual. The forgiveness Jesus offers us ushers in the kingdom of God so that he can heal our brokenness, make us whole, and produce fruit through our lives that cultivates a harvest. But here's the thing about cultivating a harvest. Culture wants to tell us in this narrative that what I sow, I reap. That is not how Jesus' kingdom works. In John chapter 12, verse 23 and 24, Jesus says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. That's how seeds germinate. They fall off the source to the ground, and they die. And then they work their way down into the soil only to come back to life and produce harvest. Jesus is talking about his own body here. He is the seed. The seed that has infiltrated this earth. He had to die. He must die. Why? So that there can be a harvest of life. You know, in all the stories that Jesus tells, you know, we looked about, look, we look at who Jesus is and who we are in these stories. Do you know who you are never in all the stories that Jesus tells? You are never the harvester. Jesus is. You produce nothing in your own strength. You, you can't. You can't do that because he produces in and through your life. While you may spend your life trying to make up for your past, he cultivates his righteousness in you. While you've been looking for identity and purpose, he's been working in your life to raise you up as his son and his daughter. While you try to reap something from the faith you work hard at to convince yourself others in God, he is sowing grace and unmerited mercy into your life. While you try to harvest something from life by running from God, God pursues you, and he will pursue you always to heal every part of your broken heart. You cannot give Jesus only pieces of your life. He wants it all. Let him do his work. Let his roots spread down deep into every single part of you. Sharing our story 
reveals the gospel. So how are you allowing Jesus to work in your story today? What fruit are you producing with the life that you're living? Who will you share your story with? And, and if you wrestle with this, this question, if you're not sure what your story is, we have resources available for you to help, help you work that out, to help you take that next step of creating awareness of how God has moved and is currently moving in and through your life. God wants to work through your story in the world and the communities that you belong to. Are you ready to share about the goodness of God and what he's done in your life? Because let me tell you, sometimes opportunities present themselves unexpectedly, kind of like a news reporter who just shows up at your doorstep. We need to be ready to share our story. Also with the understanding that it may be rejected when we share it. And that takes guts. It is time to repent from this fear of sowing. It's time to repent from the pride that keeps us from producing fruit. It's time to embrace the story that God is writing with your life and to share it with others. Remember, your story matters. And it has the potential to bring the light of God's truth, beauty, and goodness into this dark world. Let's take this next step and share our stories together. And we are actually now going to transition to a time of communion. <clears throat> if everybody wants to grab one of these, if you did not grab communion, we have some that are in baskets in the back. Feel free to get up and grab that. But friends, today is Palm Sunday. It's the first day of Holy Week. I am so excited to uh, spend this week reflecting on Jesus' sacrifice. But this day in particular, we remember Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We recall how people lined the streets, waving palm branches, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Their hearts were filled with hope and expectation because they believed Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah who was going to deliver them from their bondage and restore God's kingdom. And he did do that. But he did it unexpectedly. Instead of a noble steed, he rode a lowly donkey. Instead of pomp and circumstance, he chose humility. He chose to give up reverence that was rightly his and to humbly ride into town to face his purpose and his destiny. So today as we partake in communion, let's remember that Jesus came not to be a political ruler. He came to be our savior. He came to offer us eternal life through his sacrificial death and his resurrection. And in his own words, he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the body together. And as he took the cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's remember Jesus in this moment. Friends, remember, the love that Jesus has for us is a love that compelled him to willingly lay down his life for us to die so that we could partake 
and his kingdom work together. Let's pray. <sighs> Heavenly Father, we just thank you for being a good father. You are so good and you love us just for being who we are. There's nothing that we can do, no work that we need to earn our salvation. You just offer it. All we have to do is receive it. Help us to receive your goodness today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.